Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together. It's still, uh, last I checked, the month of January. How are you doing so far in 2016? It's a good year, right? It's a good year. We haven't uh, had too much opportunity to mess this year up yet, right? But it is great to be able to have a new year and get started with a new year and maybe to clear the slate and maybe to have some resolutions, some new leaves that we're turning over, to be a new person, to have a fresh start. And yet it is January 24th. And so if this group is like the statistics, then uh, many of us, because we've been through that drill of victory and defeat so many times, we didn't even bother setting any resolutions. We're like, been there, done that. It doesn't work. I'm just kind of in the mode of taking life one other day, one other day. Here we go again. Some of us, naive, so naive, so inexperienced, we actually did dream new dreams. We actually did expect things that would never have been done before could be done in our lives. Prayers that had never been answered before could be answered in our lives. And yet it's January 24th and it just seems now, why, what were we thinking? Why did we bother? It's just the same old thing. We're in a series that wherever we might have started the year with, And wherever we might be right now, it's always just a great place to be. And that is a focus on Jesus. Hashtag Jesus. He is worth following. If you're visiting us today, a little introduction about us. We are followers of Jesus. And we would want you to know that about us. We are followers of Jesus. If you've been here a long time, Let me introduce you to you. You're a follower of Jesus. And whatever else you may be doing, you're a follower of Jesus. And along the way, it is possible that as we're learning about Jesus, we can lose Jesus in the stories that are about him and around him and his teaching that was given by him. It is actually possible to lose Jesus in the midst of all that. And everything in the Bible is great. Not all of it is of equal importance. Some of it is secondary. Some of the individuals in the Bible, though they're all important, the Holy Spirit of God found fit to mention them, but some of them are of secondary importance. There's one figure, there's one source, there's one storyline, and there's one kind of teaching that is above all important, and that is Jesus. It's a life of Jesus. It's a teaching of Jesus. And even when we're looking at Jesus, it's possible because we relate to him as he interacts with other people. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to to relate to Jesus as he's he's interacting with other people. But it's possible to follow, and and then then we, we lose Jesus and we start tracing the other people because we can so relate to them. Jesus is worth following. And Jesus is worth bringing our focus back to again and again and again. I like Dominic saying, it's like just a small percentage of this time right here to focus in on Jesus. But if we could get this, if we could learn how to do this well, 
Even in the midst of just a few minute meditation, we wander, bring it back. We wander, bring our mind back. We wander, bring our mind back. If we could get good at that, then we could actually leverage that into other areas of our life when we're equally inclined to be distracted and lose Jesus. And the greatest thing we need to do as followers of Jesus, and we would say to you as if you're just being introduced to him, the greatest thing to be done is to come back to Jesus again and again and again because he's worth following. So in this series, we're asking the question, why? Pray tell. Why is Jesus worth following. And there's so many reasons. Our topic today is that Jesus is worth following because he is transformational. Jesus, above all leaders and above all sources of impact, Jesus is transformational. And we find that in many ways, but we're going to look today at two dimensions of Jesus' life and teaching that were transformational. His questions were transformational. And his commands were transformational. When Jesus interacted with people, often he would ask them questions. He would begin the interaction by asking them questions. And those very questions of Jesus, if we would take time to meditate on them, we would find those questions to be transformational for us. And his commands, so crystal clear. His commands are clear. And not just clear, his commands can be transformational for us in our lives. Now, Jesus is worth following wherever you find him, whatever status in life, whatever place in life, wherever you're at, he's worth from right there where you are following. And that's one of the great things is that Jesus, as he interacted with people, as you read about those interactions, he gets people from all different walks of life and all different stations in life. So we're going to look at three different individuals in three different stations of life. And the first one is in John chapter 5. We're going to start reading in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Before we read, let's pray. Father, we'd like to continue quieting ourselves. We'd like to continue bringing our attention to Jesus. We'd like to open up our hearts and have some faith to expect that something good, something from you can happen in our hearts and our minds right here right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Picking up on another storyline, it says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. Let's pause there for a moment. Jesus is in the crowd of people that would swell the population of Jerusalem, maybe from 40,000 to 250,000 from all over 
the land, they would come up for festivals. And this festival is going on, but our story takes us not in the midst of great and wonderful and uplifting celebration, but it takes us to this place on the fringe, an unsightly place, an unattractive place where people who were literally flattened out, people whose lives had maybe the best way to describe it is life had reduced them to just basic subsistence. So that's where we're beginning. We're beginning here in this place with somebody who finds themselves in a place in life where it feels just like that. Because of things that have gone on, it could be in your health. It could be in the health of someone you love. It could be financially. It could be relationally. We might be describing the condition of your marriage. We might be describing the condition of your career. We might be describing the condition of your one-time held dreams and aspiration. But you could relate because you're in a state of being reduced to just, how am I even going to get through this day? No higher aspiration and expectation than just, what am I going to do right now? So this is where our scene takes us. Enter Jesus. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, oh, let's wait. I mean, you can read it, but let's wait. So the festival is going on, but Jesus isn't in the midst of the good time festival although that would have been appropriate. That was the call of God. Jesus is out on the fringe. And Jesus sees all of these people, but his eyes go to, he sees one. That's Jesus. A really good introduction to Jesus is that you may find yourself seemingly nameless, faceless, unnoticed, There may be times in your life where you feel like you're going through stuff and nobody notices and nobody cares. An introduction to Jesus for you would be, he notices. He cares. He sees everybody and he certainly sees those on the fringes. He sees those that feel unattractive, those that feel unwanted and uninvited into the center. That's actually where he goes and he goes looking and he looks at this guy, but it's not just that he saw him somehow, whether it was just in his omniscience or whether it was, he chose the the human approach to it. And he asked some questions. It says that he saw him and then he learned more about him. That's also Jesus. We all have plenty of people in our life that never ask another question. In fact, they'll interrupt us. We'll they'll, they'll say, how you doing? And we'll start to And we'll start to talk, and then they, well, let me tell you about how I'm doing. And we just get the feeling that, do they even really care? Do they even really want to know? Jesus cares, 
and Jesus wants to know more about you. And before he ever offers anything, he's going to tune in to what you most need and to what would be most appropriate for you in your life at that time. Wouldn't it be great to know somebody like that? That when you interact with them, they don't just regurgitate onto you their previous perception? Wouldn't it be great to have somebody in your life that would first ask a few questions to orient to where you're at? That's Jesus. That's what he does. And then, the question. Do you want to get well? Now, somebody could say, what are you thinking, Jesus? Asking a question. That's an unkind, that's a, that's a horrible question to ask. It's actually a transformative question. Because when life reduces us to the basic subsistence, it is very possible that even then so reduced, so depleted, we can actually start looking around to, to other people that are in better situations than us. There's been studies, science brought in to the area of human happiness. Because that's one thing that everybody has in common. We all want to be happy. And so science is looking into this. One study, they did, and, and let, me just, let me just ask you to think about this for a moment. If you had a choice between winning the lottery, and hey, recently it was huge, wasn't it? If you had a choice between winning the lottery and being rendered a paraplegic, which would you choose? How many would choose the lottery? Seriously. It's a choice, one or the other. How many would choose being a paraplegic? Okay, they've done studies, and they've tracked people. One year later, and through various readings that they have and metrics to gauge this, Do you know the level of difference in happiness between the lottery winner and the paraplegic? The difference is literally nil, zero. That there is no measurable, quantifiable difference in happiness a year later. Imagine it between the lottery winner and the person that suffers a a massive and debilitating injury. And so here's this guy in this situation And he brings to mind another study that was done. There was this researcher called Matthew Killingsworth, and he devised an app with the iPhone. And he distributed, and 15,000 people signed up for this, 15,000 people in 80 countries, and a different occupation base of 86 different occupational groups. So he's got a very diverse group. And they, they, he, he, set him up with this app, and at random times through the day, the app would notify them with a text message, and they would have uh, uh, categories to respond, to measure their experience of happiness in that moment in their life at that time. And it would get them at different times. They might be recreating. They might be at work. They might be in the middle of some really horrible task. They might be commuting to work. They might be uh, with their family. All these different situations that they were in. They might be on vacation. All these different situations that they were in. 860,000 data points were put in. And 
the number one characteristic that he found that determined happiness and lack of happiness, get this, was mind wandering. As in, when a person was in a task and their mind was wandering, they tended to be less happy. But whatever the task was, if they were focused in the moment, this is what Dominic was inviting us to do in communion, just be in the moment. If they, whatever, even if it was an undesirable task, like commuting, going through traffic or whatever, if they were in the middle of that even undesirable task, but they were focused on it, they responded with higher levels of happiness. And he found that 47% of the time, we are mind-wandering. I think it's higher than that for me. Maybe you would find that. But on the average, 47% of the time, mind-wandering. Now, back to our guy. He is, he's reduced, and you know that, I mean, 37, what is it, 37 years? 38. I'm sure he would want us to get that last year because... It's been all of that. At the beginning of that, you know, and evidently he must have not been born that way. Maybe an injury or something happened. It just charts that length of time. He wanted to get well. He wanted to be better, to feel better, to have a better experience of life, for his quality of life to be better. You know, he wanted that. But when Jesus found him, he had lost that. Something that you would think would be so basic and so resonant within him, and yet he had lost touch with that. And it was appropriate in Jesus' mind to ask him that question, which had the potential to transform his mind wandering from all the other stuff that he was thinking and victimized by and comparing with and bring him back to what was really burning inside of him at one time, that he wanted, at some point he wanted to get well. Now we know from his response what his problem was. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Where's his mind? It's I have no one. I have nothing. I don't have the resources. What I don't have. Let me tell you, it's not about what I want. It's about what I don't have. What I'm lacking in. And then when he tries, I've tried, Jesus. I've tried. Lord knows, I've tried. I've tried, but now look where I am, still in the same place. All my trying has got me nothing. That's, that's where his mind goes. The question, and this is, this is what we're going to see in our study today. It wasn't just the question. The question was a transformative question that invited him to go back from the mind wandering, back to his original intent, back to his original commitment, back to his original dream, to get back to that. But he kept getting pulled out of that, pulled out of that, pulled out by the defeats, pulled out by what he saw he didn't have compared to what others had. And so there he is reduced 
And Jesus follows the question with a command. He could have got into a conversation and even empathizing with him about what he didn't have. He could have really felt with him, and some would tell us that's what we need to do. We need to take the time to really empathize with, yeah, it's tough what you don't have. Jesus followed the question with a command of all things. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Some of us are so reduced by things in life. I mean, right now, this is really the decision. Are you going to give up or are you going to get up? You started out in marriage. But where you're at now in your marriage is you're reduced to this place. And you've got to decide, are you going to give up on your marriage or are you going to get up? And you could say to Jesus, Jesus, how unkind of you, how unfair of you. You don't understand my situation. And Jesus says, believe me, I do. I know exactly where you're at. I know how long you've been there. And I've tracked every heartbreak and heartache along the way. And I'm telling you, do you want to get well? Do you want to have a better marriage or do you want to blame your spouse? Get up. Your, your situation in your career, I mean, it is just, it's just flattened out. You're so far away from where you wanted and what you dreamed you could be as a, as, pro, as a person and, and at what you thought you could contribute to society and, and your gifts and your skill set and, and where, the kind of job you would have and you're so far from that you really are to this point. You could give up. Just give up. And, and Jesus would say, get up. The other thing that I just think is the coolest thing I think almost anybody in the planet would just see the guy and would say the command would be get up and walk. But what is really remarkable is that there's something right in the middle. Between the get up and the walk, Jesus tells him to do something else. Look very closely. What does he tell him to do? Pick up your mat. The guy had a mat. He didn't have a friend to put him in the pool. He didn't have enough strength to get in that other people had, but he had a mat. Jesus would tell a rich man to give up everything he had. But he would tell the guy that only had a mat, you better take care of that mat. (laughs) Keep your eye on that mat. He would tell... The disciples, yes, leave your nets, leave your boats, leave your father, leave it all. And then he would tell them after a miracle, don't let anything be wasted. Go around with baskets and pick up every crust and every half-eaten fish. Pick it all, let nothing be wasted. Jesus really didn't have a lot of patience for extravagance 
and people that could never have enough and always acquired more and more and always needed more and more. He really didn't have a lot of pay. In fact, he had teaching about that. But he really highly valued the guy's mat. And he's inviting him, and this is such a gift, and it's so transformative. He would do the same with you. He would say, yeah, I know what you don't have, and I know you're so distracted like 40%, 47% of the time, and you're so unhappy because you're so distracted by what you don't have. But you got a mat. Somebody's saying, you know, my life is not where I want it to be. And Jesus would say, so you're saying you have a life. (laughs) Somebody else would say, my job is not the job that I want to be doing. And Jesus would say, pick up that job. Somebody would say, my kids, my kids. So you've got kids. Somebody would say, you you don't understand my spouse. You don't understand my husband. You don't understand my wife. You have a wife? You better pick up that spouse. You better take care of that. It's starting. You don't understand. My friends, none of my friends, none of my friends listen to me. You've got friends? You've actually got friends that you could say they don't listen to you? You better pick those friends. You better take care of those friends. The command involved get up and the command involved the redirect. And it's, so, it's such a transformative question. What do you want? Do you want to get well or not? If you do, get up. Take the first step. Don't give up. Get up. And by the way, while you're getting up and you're taking that first step of walking, find your mat and take care of that mat. Let's move on. Another situation. Because I know some of us are, but not all of us are in that reduced, flattened out stage. And if we are, we're not going to be there forever. And, and, and there's other stages of life, like Luke 10, verse 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Well, this is an interact, inter, interesting interaction and situation. There's this guy, and he is an expert in the law. He's an expert in his field, and he's going to test Jesus. That's our introduction to this scenario. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First, the question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. All right, let's pause there. Here's a guy who's an expert in the law. Now, what does it take for someone to become an expert in the law? What kind of childhood dreams or early adult original intent would somebody have had to have to become an expert and in the group because this was a religious society and they were into the law, but he was elevated to the elite group of being an expert in that law. What kind of original intent and original dreams would somebody have had to have? You can just kind of imagine what it might have been like for this guy. But somewhere along the way, his relationship with the law 
and his expertness with the law became about, look at this, about testing, in this case, Jesus. You know, sometimes that happens to us. We have a relationship with the word of God, maybe an original intent in our relationship with the word of God. But right now, if we were to just look at our station in life, it's not really about the hardship. But we're invited here to look at our life right now with relationship to the word of God. And is it more for you? Run it back through all the different scenarios of life that we could have had resolutions about, that we could want to do better, that we could have dreamed better for, that we could be putting out there, you know, impossible prayers that God's going to do that he's never done before. Run it through any of those and enter in the word of God into that situation because God's word has something to say about everything. There's a value, there's a principle, there's a point of guidance about anything. And yet, our relationship has become more about testing than transformation. We might be testing the people around us. Well, I wonder if they get this. I wonder if they're following this. I wonder where they're at with this and not about where we're at with it. And really, really tragically and really dangerously, sometimes it's more about testing God. Jesus said, don't put God to the test, but, but, but we end up doing that. Well, God, if it's really true, what about this? And what about that? And, and we get into this mode of, and it's probably, it's, it's probably never like that. It's probably way more low grade, way more under the current, but it's still a feeling of, I don't know if I can even believe this stuff because it doesn't seem to be happening in my life. Okay, so, so that's, that's the guy. Whatever his original intent was, right now his relationship with the word is using it to test, using it to give tests. Man, that is, that is not a healthy relationship with the word of God. And the amazing thing, expert in the law, and there's other interactions in the Bible where this same command comes up, other guys coming to Jesus, but this guy, knowing the setting where this guy's testing Jesus, Jesus asks a question. What's written in the law? How do you read it? That's just brilliant. Brilliant. Because Jesus empowers that guy. It's really not about, you know, a debate. And it's not about what somebody else says about it. It's actually about you. How do you read it? Do you know the confidence that Jesus has in his word and in your heart, if you'll but be honest? He knows that all that's needed is for you to read it. And he even, he even sets you free. How do you read it? He's not, let me tell you how to read it. It's, the question is, what is written? How do you read it? Do you understand what kind of a transform, transformational question that could be? He's putting it back on you. How do you read it? Okay, given your life situation, given where you're at, How do you read it? Okay, your situation is different than somebody else. Okay, given that, how do you read it? But let's not miss this. Do you read it? Because sometimes we talk about it 
And we even whip out tests to others and to God about it. But do you read it? Imagine that. Jesus just has this confidence that if you read it, something good can happen. If you read it and you read it how you read it, something good will happen. So then the guy answers and Jesus, here's the command. This is not spiritual rocket science here, okay? This, this is not like, wow, he pulled this one out for the expert in the law. For the rest of us that aren't biblical geniuses, he would have said something different. Expert in the law or beginner or person that's been around the law a while, he just simply, here's the command, do this and you will live. Read it, however you're going to read. Read it and then do it. The question, how do you read it? Got something going on in your life. Great, enter the Bible. How do you read it? Well, you don't understand. My, okay, I'm not going to impose something on you. How you're in your life going through it, how do you read it? Then do it. So to the guy that came testing Jesus, Jesus is just like, hey, really, it's really not about testing me. It's about you deciding what kind of a relationship you want to have with the word of God. The guy isn't quite there yet. He wanted to justify himself. Now, there's another kind of relationship with the word of God. Wanting to make no changes and just be as you are. Wanting to complain about your situation And somebody hears you complaining and they say, well, have you tried this? But not wanting to change. Not wanting to do anything different. And so you complain about your relationships. You complain about your status in life. You complain about your kids, about your marriage, about your career. You complain about your health. You complain about your internal life and your emotional health. You complain about it. And so somebody, God might send you somebody or a scripture might jump off the page and might might tell you something that you could actually do, that you could actually get up and take a step forward in, but you really want to do nothing. You want to justify yourself. That is another kind of relationship to have with the word of God. So he wanted to justify himself, and so genius that he was, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked, he was attacked. He was left for dead and he encountered, or three people encountered him. Two of them, a priest and a Levite, passed him by on the other side and left him continuing to be left for dead. A third one, an unlikely character, and that was often the kind of stories that Jesus loved to tell. The unlikely character is the hero of the story. He bandaged the guy's wounds, poured oil on them. He took him to a safe place where he, in a hotel type situation, an inn where he could be healed up. And he offered to pay money then and then come back later for any other charges so the guy could be brought back to complete health. Then Jesus, here's the follow up, because he had already asked, How do you read it? Do that. 
the guy wants to justify himself. So Jesus, another story, now another question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied. Now, you don't have to be an expert in the law to get this. But isn't it comforting to know that the expert in the law came to this conclusion too? Sometimes some of us need that. But what do the experts say? What are other people doing? I don't know about the Bible. What are other people? I need to find somebody else out there that's doing something so I can be comforted that that I'm okay. Or I can be justified and I'm not okay. How can you expect me to work under these conditions? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, it's the same thing. This is not rocket science. Go and do likewise. Transformative question Read it, and by the way, how do you read it? And then just do it. You're in a situation in your life. There is a scripture. God would lead you to it. You may know it right now. It's the one you've been avoiding. It's the one that's not underlined. You would never underline that one, but it's the one. And it just comes down to read it. Read it as you would read it. Let it speak to you where you're at without any filters, no justification, and then just take a step. Get up, take a step, and do it. Third story, different situation. We go from a person who's just flattened out by life, and sometimes that's where you are, to a person who's trying to decide, trying to define what kind of relationship is he going to have with the Word of God. And then the third one, and now we're to the very center of it, is Peter. John 21, verse 15. This is uh, after it all, after Peter had fallen away, denied Jesus. In Jesus' hour of greatest need, Peter, who could have arguably been his most reliable person, just caved in, just folded on him. Now Jesus is back under the heading of he's going to restore, he's going to reinstate Peter. After his resurrection, here Jesus is interacting with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that could be, People are wondering, what is that? Is it the fish? I think that he's setting up a scenario where Peter had said, even if everybody falls away, even if everybody deserts you, even if everybody leaves you, I will not. I, Lord, love you more than everybody else. And that's a real setup. And sometimes we feel that. Sometimes we feel that wherever it's in our family, it's in our family group, in the church, it's in our world, that somehow we get things that other people just don't get. And that's our, that's our biggest burden is, Lord, how do you and I do this? Because we get things that, that others just don't get. You know, Lord, how do you do it? Because I'm having a real hard time with it. And, and that's really where we're at with it. And so Jesus now after, I mean, that was a setup for Peter and, and you know, he, he failed epically so. And, and so Jesus just comes back to that setting. Do you, do you really love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. We're talking to followers of Jesus here. We're talking to those that have been at it for a while. And for you, it is about Jesus. It's about him. For for Peter... He wasn't signed on to a cause. He was signed on to a person. He wasn't just trying to make the better place. Whatever he was involved in was because he saw what Jesus prioritized and what Jesus was doing, and he said, I'm going to do that. Whatever he thinks is important, whatever he, I'm going to do what he's doing. He was, a, he was a follower of Jesus, and yet he had failed. And he had hurt the relationship. And sooner or later, we all have that in our lives. That we, we just get to a place where we have damaged our relationship with Jesus. That our relationship with Jesus, it's not we don't get that it's most important. We get it's most important. But we're living with damage that we've done to it. And what Jesus does. It's what he did with the guy on the mat. It's what he did with the guy who, whatever he may have, his original intent, what he'd lost his way with the word of God, is he brings Peter back to his original intent. Do you love me? And for every time that Peter denied Jesus, three times he brings him back to his original design and his original intent. Do you love me? Is that what you're about? Is that what you want? Do you want a relationship with me that's greater than any other relationship? Do you love me? And I know for some of us, we're like, Jesus, you had me at hello. (laughs) Yes. That is so it. That is all I want. That is what I want. I do love you, Lord. I, I... I've hurt the I've damaged the relationship. I've lost sight of you. I've, I've, I've denied you in, at moments when I should have stood up for you. I, I know I've hurt you, and I'm wondering where are you at with me. But he just brings it back from the mind wandering back to the original thing. 47% back to, it's about loving Jesus. Do I still want that? Don't give up on that. Don't give up because you think you've heard him and he doesn't want anything to do with you. You know him better than that. That's not, that's not what he is. That's not who he is. Don't give up. Just get up again. Get back up into your resolve. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The question was transformative. It could have been, why did you do it, Peter? How could you have done this to me? It was just back to, do you love me? And Jesus knew the answer to that. He knew it. But he asked him so that Peter could hear his answer. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the command, the question, and then the command. Feed my sheep. Sooner or later, we have to come back to this. In following Jesus, Turns out it's not about us. 
Who knew? Peter had the temptation to wallow in this defeat and wallow in the guilt and wallow in the alchemy. And he could have made it about him. And Jesus said, do you love me? Okay, now let's redirect you. Here's what a loving relationship with me looks like. It's not about you just sitting around and emoting about your love for me. It's about you feeding my sheep. It's about you finding someone who needs what you have, what I have given you, and you share that with them. There's actually somebody out there who, who has something or who needs something and you've got it. Feed them, share with them, offer them what I've given you and, and that I will feel loved by you in that moment. Feed my sheep. Now, as happens, that wasn't enough. And so we read on. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus, to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Distractions. 47% of the time, our mind wanders. And often among us followers of Jesus, you know where our mind wanders? To other followers of Jesus. What about them? He just gave this, this, this challenge, a forecast of his life, and it's going to be tough. But when you get in those tough times, when you, when you hit the tough patch, and they're leading you where you don't want to go, listen to me, Peter, here's what you need to do. Guess what? It's the same thing as the very first moment you, you, you signed on with me. It's it's a beginning, and it's the same thing at the end, and all the way through, follow me. When you get in that moment, and it's difficult, and you're wondering, you're disoriented, you're wondering what to do, and this isn't what I signed on for, and this is what I wanted. Here it is, Peter. Follow me. Now he centers him, he focuses him, and Peter starts wandering. And he does what many of us do. But what about him? What about John? And maybe, maybe Peter knew there was this special relationship between Jesus and John, and there was a closeness there, and there was an affection there, and maybe, maybe that bothered him, or, or maybe he just, he just, okay, so I'm going to have this, this end of my life that's martyrdom. Well, I, what about him? Does he get to just kind of fall asleep in the night and wake up in eternity? Is that what? What about him? This is mine, but what about his? And Jesus says. What is that? What what would that do for you? How is that going to help you? Whatever I'm doing in their life, what what is that? And he redirects him. You must follow me. And isn't it interesting? It's the very, very first thing that Peter had to learn to do. We're going to come after all of our searching. We're going to come back to the place that we started. And we're going to know it for the first time. It's about following Jesus. So let's conclude. And let's just say we're at uh, Blaze Pizza or we're at Chipotle, if you risk, you know, Chipotle or, or Subway. And, you know, you get to choose. Okay, so your choice, choose a question and choose a command. And then, you know, just run with that. Whether 
you might be on the mat or you might be wrestling with your relationship with the word of God or you might really be in the thick of it with Jesus at the heart, wherever you might be, choose a question. Maybe, do you want to get well? Or what's written? How do you read it? Or do you love me? Or what is that to you? Pick one and then pick a command. And, and the point is, do it. Like, get up, pick up your mat. Hey guys, don't forget your mat. You've got a mat and walk, or do this, and you will live, or feed my sheep, or you must follow me. All right, here's how we're going to end today. You know, for 20 years, we've had a closing song. Today, we're not going to have a closing song. So I'm going to step you through this, okay? I'm going to lead you through this. You're going to be okay. First thing I want everybody to do is to stand up, okay? We're going to stand up. Okay, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer. And then after I say amen, here's what's going to happen. Monroe is going to cue some background music. And you're going to turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, how are you doing? You got that? Not too complicated. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, and thank you for the words of Jesus. Thank you for the people that he interacted with, because we can see ours.